Well, praise God, what an incredible again chapter. Uh, what amazing truths that happen to begin in there. And uh, we start to go through um, uh, uh, John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Six last time we were together, and we said that the truth that happens to begin right there is one of the most hated truths that happen to begin in all of Scripture. When you, when you look at the world that happens to be around us, when you look at all the rebellion that happens to begin around us, it's all around what, what verse number 6 happens to begin teaching of. And for the people of God, what is taught in verse number 6 is the most beloved true truth, isn't it? You know, and it's basically this truth. Jesus has paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. And what did he do? He washed it white as snow. And we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that those, again, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason why they hate that truth is they want to decide what is right and wrong, what is morally acceptable, what is not morally acceptable before God. They want to decide what God thinks. In fact, again, it happens to be the oldest sin that happens to be again in the book. They want to play God. You find that right in the Garden again of Eden itself. But here, Jesus makes a truth claim you know, about who he is, about the salvation that will come from him. And we realize there's a context to that, right? All the disciples are really disturbed. They're really fretful because Jesus has been announcing that he's going away. And Jesus, again, tries to calm their hearts. He says, don't, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I am going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be eternally. And you know where I go. You know, and right after he says that comes up the question in verse number five that said by Thomas, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And when he says again, we do not know where you are going. It's not saying that he doesn't understand that Jesus is going up into heaven. He just doesn't understand the plan. He doesn't understand, again, what is going to take place. The way that the disciples, the way, again, that that first century Judaism thought about life is that this was the kingdom right here and right now. So it made no sense that Jesus would depart. They thought there was going to be a battle. They thought there was going to be opposition. But Jesus was going to establish his kingdom right here and right now. So what's all this talk about going away? And then he asked the question again, we do not know the way. And that was where we have the famous words of the Lord Jesus, again, right here in verse number six, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we began looking at that verse last time we were together, and we realized there's truth claims, right? There, right? Right in there in the verse when he says, I am the way. We mentioned last time we were together, this is the sixth of seven I am statements where Jesus is announcing that he's none other than than Jehovah. You know, the great God, the self-existent one, the one who doesn't need anything, the eternal God that happens to begin in heaven, and life comes through him. And when he says, I am the way, again, he's answering the question, isn't he? The question that's posed by by, uh, Thomas is basically this. How can we know the way? How can we know the route? And Jesus established that he is the way. And there's a message that happens to be in there, isn't there? You know, when you look at your life, when I look at my life, we are so unholy. We are so, again, saturated in sin. We could never appear in God's presence all on, we, all on our own. What we need is a redeemer. What we need beyond a shadow of a doubt is God in human flesh to live that life and die that substitutionary death, taking the punishment, again, that we, each one of us deserve. And so Jesus announces this. He says, I am the way. But he not only announces that I am the way, but he announces this. I am the truth. You know, and when he announces the truth, it's basically this twofold, isn't it? 
And one is, again, that he's the exclusive truth. You know, remember the question. Remember what we're talking about. We're not talking about all truth, all access to all knowledge. What we're talking about is something specific, isn't it? And it's a way into the kingdom and a way into God's presence, a way into God's heavens. It's a way, again, into that place that Jesus Christ is preparing for us. And there's no amount, again, of information that happens to be, again, in the, in the world that happens to be around us, that we can look at creation, we can look at other faith-based systems and come up with this idea that Jesus paid it all. The truth comes through Christ. It comes through his life. It comes through what he has done. It comes through the interpretation that God has given us about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that life is found in him. You know, and that's one aspect. Again, the other aspect that's so clear that happened to me in this passage of Scripture is basically this, that all other truth claims that deal with eternal matters are false. You know, it doesn't matter, again, who it is. It doesn't matter if it's Islam. It doesn't matter, again, if it's Mormonism. It doesn't matter if it's the JWs. It doesn't matter if it's Hinduism. It doesn't matter if it's secularism. When someone says, this is how you get to heaven without Jesus Christ being the way, without his truth, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's a falsehood. You know, it is not a truth. Jesus is not our way. And this is where the, off- the, the offense comes in. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the only way to come into the presence of God. It's almost like Peter says over in the book of Acts when he appears before the Sanhedrin. In chapter 4 and verse number 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must say. Right? What is Jesus saying? He's saying that Jesus is the way. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the only access point in order to come into the presence of God. So as we continue that happen to begin in this passage of Scripture, there's two challenges. And one is, again, if, you, if you've never been saved, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never again come under him and really submitted your life to him and believed upon him, let me, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's the only access point. He's the only way that you can come before the Father in heaven. And the other point that happens to be again made in each, each one of our life, it's not only do, 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 that does the unbeliever need Jesus, but we need Jesus. We need this gospel every single day of our lives. And let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe, again, in your families, in your marriages, in your strife, in your battles, in all the trials and all the temptations in your life, that the the necessary thing that you have in your life, the most necessary thing that you need in your life, is Jesus Christ and his grace? Because this is an amazing thing. Because Jesus not only says that he is the way and he is the truth, but this is what he says thirdly. He says, I am the life. And I want you to think about that. You know, because these are not three synonyms, right? Right, Where they're interchangeable, we have way, we have truth, we have, we have life. These are three aspects of who Jesus Christ is, why we can have salvation, right? And one leads to the other. Jesus is the way, right? But, 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 but there's certain truths that I need to understand about Christ, that I need to see about the Lord Jesus Christ, or there's no way. And here's the third thing, and this is what he's saying. And I want us to understand, there is no use to Jesus being, here it is, the way and the truth unless he gives life. It's absolutely useless. You know, and before we will ever trust Christ, there needs to be a life given. And what this is saying beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I want us to understand it, is our sin problem 
is a lot more deep, is a lot greater than we could ever imagine. Our condition outside, again, of salvation, outside of the life that he gives, is a lot more desperate. We need this Christ. When it says that we are dead in trespasses and sins, that's what it means. There is no life, there is no wanting, there is no desire of this true God that happens to be again in heaven. And what does he do? He gives us life. And let me say, this is profound ramifications, not only for salvation, but also, again, in our living of our Christian lives. You know, you talk to people so often in their lives, and they'll say something like this. They'll say something like this, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I just cannot follow Christ. I just cannot follow Christ in this area. And let me say, because Christ has given life, because we're joined to his life, we, we've been freed from the shackles of sin. We can obey Christ. We can overcome whatever happens to begin in our life. If we live with hopelessness, if we live with despair, if we live with depression, if we live with anger, if we live with bitterness, if we live with unforgiveness, if we live with lust that happens to be in our hearts, we no longer have to follow that. And why? Because we're connected forevermore with Jesus Christ. And he's truly giving uh, given us life. And let me tell you, It makes a profound difference in your life if you believe that about your Christianity and your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he provides that life, doesn't he? You know, and you can see that again right in this text, you know, because right here, uh, let me just say this, um, and you can see that also. Because when Jesus, earlier in this epistle, is talking to Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus comes to him by night, and even though he doesn't say it, he says, Teacher, we know that you're from God. And he truly wants to know this. He truly wants to know, how do you have access into the kingdom? And listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse number 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, one, unless one is born again, Look at a negative there. He cannot. In other words, an impossibility to see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. You have to be given a life above the life that you already have that happened to be again right here. Now, here's the question. Where does that life come from? And that life comes from here. I am the way. I am the truth. Here it is. I am the life. It comes from Jesus. He even says again a little earlier, even in this epistle, in chapter 10, verse number 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Where does that abundant life come? It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes again through the Holy Spirit sent by the Father, the Son, to grant life through Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question, because the question is often asked. Where does this life come from? Or or what's first? You know, do we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which results again in us being born again, us being given this new life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is this new life given, and the result again of that new life is that I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Which is it? Which comes first? What is the order of uh, salvation? What is the order of being, being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the most popular answer that's given today is that our belief in Jesus Christ precedes the life that's given. And think about it, because the gospel can be preached to a whole bunch of unbelievers. They can hear this gospel preached, and all of a sudden, again, there's a few here, there's a few there that believe, but here's a whole mass that does not believe. Why do some believe and some do not believe? Is is it just that I have a more sensitive heart to these spiritual matters? Is it just that I have figured it out and others haven't? In other words... 
Is there some reason why I should be applaud, applauded while others not applauded? You know, or is it the other way? That my condition is so desperate, I'm so dead in sin, I'm so lifeless in sin, sin has captured my heart and my being so much so that if God does not give me life, there's no life, there's no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the amazing thing. This is one of the things I love about Scripture, and I hope you'll get this principle. You know, God gives many commands that happen to be in his word, doesn't he? You know, somebody has added them up. I don't know if it's right, but they say, again, there's 613 commands that happen to be in the Word of God. I don't know if that's right. You know, I've never counted them, you know, and I probably count them. Somebody would ask me a question. i say, oh, where was I? I better start at the beginning again. You know, and, and, and I don't know how many commands, but this is an amazing thing. And I hope you get this principle. God gives us the ability God gives us a supernatural ability from him to give, to do what he has commanded. Isn't that amazing? You know, the, the, I think the one, one of the greatest illustrations that, that happens to be, again, is Lazarus in the tomb. Remember Lazarus in the tomb? Lazarus is given a command. You know, and let me tell you, it's an impossible command. And when you look at the commands that are given to do it with the right heart, with the right attitude before a holy God that happens to be in heaven... They're impossible to do in our natural self, aren't they? And here Lazarus is given that command, but he's given the ability to obey that command. So here he is, dead in the tomb. Lazarus, come out! Now, what's he need in order to obey that command? You know, it's not, again, a little nudge. Did you hear him? No, he didn't hear him. You know, what does he need? He needs life. And isn't it amazing? That's what God gives us. And what's the outcome of that life? That outcome of that life is believing on him. It's obedience to the gospel, right? right. The gospel is a command. Believe on Christ. Have that repentant faith in him. And we're able to do that. But think of all the other commands that have been being in the word of God. You know, if you've ever been down in sin in your life, and it just seems to ratchet in your heart, Take control again of your life, and you think, man, I can never get over this. I can never get over this. I can never live that life that God wants me to live. I can never overcome this lust. I can never overcome this, this anger. I can never live and find my fulfillment, find my joy in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that is a lie from the devil. Scripture tells us that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. But here it is, alive to God. I'm no longer in slavery to sin. God has set me free in Jesus Christ. And now I can obey him. Let me ask you, do you believe that truth? Do you believe that truth about the gospel, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this is the good news. You know, he not just gives us life that we might believe, but we might live for him. And you can see the, the reason, right? The reason is because we're dead in trespasses and sins. You know, and what does it, well, let me just read Romans 8.2. Romans 8.2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ, right? We're in Christ. This life does not originate in me. Set you free from the law of sin and death. And think of it. Think, think, of, think through the, te- uh, the text. Why do you need to be set free? And the reason why you need to be set for three is what's taught in Romans 8, 7. And listen to what he says. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. And then it says this. Indeed, it cannot. I can't obey God. 
I don't want to obey God. I will not obey God. That's what the heart says. And why? Because it's absolute bondage to sin that haven't begun in life. But what has God done? He's given us freedom. He has set us free to believe, to follow. Uh, Again, Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and uh, in our trespasses, he says this, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, right? It's a life-giving grace that's been given to us to believe, to follow, to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Sam Storms quotes uh, W.G.T. Shedd as writing this. He says, a new life is not implanted because man perceived the truth, right? That would all be all about us. But he perceives the truth because the new life is implanted. A man is not regenerated because he has first believed in Christ, but he believes in Christ, why? Because he has been regenerated, otherwise been given new life. He is not regenerated because he first repents, but he repents because he has been regenerated. Storm goes on and writes this, in the doctrine of regeneration, in other words, God-giving life, in the doctrine of regeneration, we are asserting that beneath and before all pure, positive human responses to the gospel, whether faith, repentance, love, or conversion, there is a supernatural, efficacious, in other words, it always has that result of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and altogether mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. This work of the Spirit is both prior to an effectual cause of all the activity on the part of mankind. To sum up, the Holy Spirit regenerates a person in order that person may respond to the gospel, respond to the life of Christ. You're going to be brought into Jesus Christ by that Spirit. And why is that so important? You know, it's so so important. We could go on and on and on why it's so important because there's many applications that we could give this. But I'm just going to give one, okay? Well, maybe I'll give two. I'll give this one. It's the only reason why we can advance in Christianity. Why we can be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we can grow in the grace and look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we will look more like the Lord Jesus Christ as we progress in this life. And why? Because he has given us life. You know, and it's the only way. And it promises, again, that what we are today, we will not be tomorrow. And we will not be again even a year from now. There'll be that progressive change that comes through our life. But think also, again, because if it's all about, you know, man's ability, 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 if it's all about him, then he deserves the praise. He deserves the accolades for salvation. But what, what are we here all day doing? And what are we doing all day? We're praising Christ for this wonderful salvation. We just sung about it again just before we started the service. And it's wonderful. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, it says, And because of him, you are in Christ. Right? That's why. Not because of me, not because of somebody else, but because of him, because of God, you are in Christ. You have this life in Christ. And what did Christ become because we're in Christ? Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So that, listen to what it says, as it is written, let the one who boasts, here it is, boast in the Lord. And what do we boast? Salvation is of God. Salvation is of Christ from the first to the last, right? There's no interposition of me. You know, I did this or someone else did this. 
It's all of Christ. And he deserves all of the accolades. He deserves all the praise. Let me ask you, when you walk into God's uh, house, are you amazed at that? Is there a depth of joy about that truth? So much so that you want to come in and you just want to praise. You just want to belt out like we did this morning. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretched soul like me. Are you amazed by that? Are you in glory about that? You know, and all of a sudden, what's his response? It's praise to him, gratitude towards him, worship of this great one. You know, and the other reason, again, I think this is so important is for evangelism. You know, I think a lot of times we look at people and we just say, and, and I've heard this so much. I can remember there was this gentleman that I worked with. You know, and he was a real rough guy, and there was this other guy that I work with. I was a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was witnessing to this guy that happened to be over here, and this Christian came over to me, and he said, don't witness that guy. You're just wasting your time. He is just too hard of a case. You know, I can remember uh, the church that it was going to. You know, they had altar calls, and they brought uh, this guy down, you know, and he listened to the gospel. And I can remember him going up front with tears in his eyes. You know, I'm professing again that he was a sinner in need, again, of uh, amazing grace. And why is that possible? Why is it possible? It's possible because of this. We have an evangelism that does not fail because it's not up to our power. We're just the spokesman of this amazing message. But God gives life to dead hearts who respond to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you tonight, because it will make all the difference in your evangelism. Do you believe that? You know the most fervent evangelists over the last 2,000 years, if you look over the last 2,000 years of church history, the most fervent evangelists are those who believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God would give life, and that life would bring conversion. You know, do you believe that? Do you believe the application, again, as we live and as we testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to excite our hearts to make known Jesus Christ and him, And let's remember, there's absolutely no other way, right? No other way. And you can see that because this is an exclusive statement, again, of Jesus Christ. Because look at verse number six again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says this statement, in case we never got the point, the, 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 right? He says this, he says this, uh, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Right exclusively, again, through him. I can remember witnessing to a gentleman and and telling him, and it was very evident, you know, even though I didn't use the word, this is the only way, 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 even though I didn't use those words, it was very evident when you preach the gospel and you preach again in integrity that you're a sinner, you're as Christ. God sent him to be that perfect propitiation, that perfect payment for sin. When, when, when you give the gospel, it in and of itself is an exclusive message. And he had gotten a message. You know, and he listened, and he was very respectful when he listened. And I, thought, and I asked him what he thought at the end, and he basically said this. You know, I know of somebody in church history who lived an exemplary life who was a peacemaker and never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you look at all the things that are written about him, and there's nothing bad that happened to be written about him. And certainly, again, we could say that we're all sinners, but I have a hard time believing that that 
person because they did not believe in Jesus Christ is in hell today. And how would you answer that? You know, the way that I answered it was basically this. We downplay the significance of our sin. You know, and there's various different degrees of sinfulness. You might, you might have a doting grandmother over here, and at the other end of the spectrum of sinfulness, you might have Hitler over here. And there's all kinds of offensive lives. Some are more offensive before God, but all of them are offensive before God. And here's the thing that you have to realize. We just downplay the significance of my sin before a holy God. And that's one point. The other point is anytime somebody does something like that, what they're doing is deflecting their own needs, their own need to trust Christ, their own need to repent of their sins. Because if they can prove that there's an exception from the rule, that Christ is wrong right here. And his exclusive claims to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he is wrong, then he's not the only redeemer. He's not the only savior. He's not the only Lord. You know, and I do not need to trust him. And what it does is deflect, again, away from the exclusivity and the need, again, of a person to recognize their own sin before a holy God and truly trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Christ says, again, right at the end of the verse here, no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't think you can get a more clear, more accurate, uh, more, more succinct, more exclusive statement in all of Scripture than, than this one that happens to begin right here. Because there's two things that we can glean from this passage, again, right here, or this statement that happens to be right here. And that is, again, it's belief in the Jesus Christ, right? There's no way that you can come through the Father, There's no way that you can have access into the Father's presence except through the Lord Jesus Christ and him and him alone. So you look at the Sanhedrin, you look at the religious Jews that existed in in God's time. When you look at all the Jews that are coming, here's the religious leaders, and they're sending a band to arrest the Lord Jesus, and they would all say, we have the Father. And if they reject Jesus Christ, they don't have the Father. They don't have any relationship again with God. You know, there was a gentleman that came out to our services for a while, and I met him down back because he wanted to have a conversation. He asked if he could have a few moments of my time because he wanted to talk about his Muslim neighbor. You know, and as he struck up a relationship with his Muslim neighbor, the first thing that he noticed is how moral this man was and how devout he was as far as how he believed in God. You know, and he came to this conclusion, he came to this conclusion that his Muslim neighbor believed in the God of the Old Testament. But he, again, as a professor of Jesus Christ, who who professed salvation in Jesus Christ, was a believer in the New Testament sense. You know, and he asked me what I thought. And I said, well, what does he believe about Jesus Christ? He says, well, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He rejects Jesus. And no one, here it is, No one who rejects Jesus has the Father. You know, you see this even in the first epistle that John writes, because he writes again in that epistle, no one who denies the Son has the Father. You cannot divide up the Trinity. Again, who God is, whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So access, again, into the presence, again, God, is only through 
Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's the only access to the Father. The second conclusion we can glean again from this is he's not just talking about Christianity and Judaism. A lot of people try to make that, you know, argument. Judaism was so corrupt back then, and that's all he's talking about. But it's talking about any other path that people trust. You know, it doesn't matter, again, if somebody happens to be in a Hindu religion, uh, religion. You say, beyond a shadow, here they are. They're so devout. They're so trusting in their religious works and their religious way. There is no other avenue to eternal life except for Jesus Christ, no matter how devout they happen to be. Jesus is the only access point. He is the only door. He is the only means. He is the only sacrifice. He is the only redeemer. He is the only Lord. He is the only rock. He is the only good shepherd. He is the only mediator. He is the only light. He is the only high priest. He is the only living bread. He is the only life giving water. He is the only ransom. He is the only propitiation. He is the only savior. He is the only substitute. He is the only justifier. He is the only path. He is the only advocate before the Father. He is the only true vine. He is the only Lamb of God. He is the only author and finisher of our faith. He is the only word. He is the exclusive and only Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is the only way and the only truth and the only life. And it's only through him that one can come into the presence of God, into his kingdom. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5 says this, For there is no, for there is no, uh, one God and there is one mediator. In other words, one way, right? A mediator is a go-between, how I get to someone else. And there is one mediator between God and man. And here it is, the man Christ Jesus. It's the only way. Now think of it. Think through this beyond a shadow of a doubt, because you might hear this about the love of Christ. You might hear that he's gone to prepare a place for you. You might hear again that he's made a way that you might come into his presence. You might go through this gospel and look through the uh, next several chapters and realize the brutal cost for your salvation. And you might say this, I still reject Jesus Christ. You know, I still want nothing to do with him. Can you think of a greater offense that can be brought into the sight of an all-holy God when he has made access into his presence through his one and only beloved Son. How could we ever think that God would be pleased with your rejection of the Son it's the epitome, again, of pride. I love what Don Carson... Don Carson quotes Thomas A. Kempis, and Kempis is putting these words, of, words into Jesus' mouth through this passage of Scripture, and he says, Follow thou me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, and the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, Life uncreated. 
And think of the whole purpose of this gospel. The whole purpose of this gospel is summarized in John chapter 20 with these words. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe. Right? That's the whole purpose. That Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, you might have life through his name. You know what I think the most saddest thing of appearing before Jesus, appearing before God, his judgment throne in our own sins. You know the only thing worse than appearing before God in all of your sins? You know what's worse than that? It's this. I knew the gospel, and I refused to believe on Jesus Christ. I beg you, don't make that mistake today. Jesus said, and these are his words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing verse. What an incredible verse as far as the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, Lord, what an exciting truth when we really recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have made a way. You have made access possible. You have again sent our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, our light, our all, Jesus Christ. There is a bread of life. There is a living fountain that we can trust in and that we can drink from to have life. And God, we recognize as we're given this life, we not only believe on Christ, but we follow Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as believers. God, that we would not only believe this truth, we would not only again celebrate this truth, but we would live in light of this truth, that we have been given life, life that we didn't have before, a life that can follow and trust in Jesus. We thank you so much. Just be with us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.